Robin, I reckon. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint the one for me, the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. He then consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy, with a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Now, who enjoyed that Bible reading? Oh, um, when I was a younger man, um, for a short time when I was a younger man, I lived in Bolivia. Bolivia, which is one of the poorest countries in the world at the time. I was with a team of young people working for a missionary organization. And while we were there, someone organized us to travel across Bolivia to go to a big meeting for Christian leaders. And after about six, maybe to eight hours on the coach, in the absolute middle of nowhere, we stopped. And we learned that the road ahead was unpassable. So we stopped for the night. And curious where we were going to be staying. We were led up the
Good. I'll put my mic on there. <laughs> we were told by the... Maybe I'll turn it off. We were told by the driver, um, this young shepherd boy, yes, this smelly, grubby one, he's going to be the next president of Bolivia. Now, why would we have found that difficult to believe? Maybe we wouldn't. Maybe we'd find it very easy and very plausible, um, but I would find it very difficult um, because we were in the middle of nowhere. He was a nobody, part of a shepherding community, and uh, there were no schools, there was nothing going on. This boy didn't know left from right. He wouldn't surely be president of Bolivia. But as my grandfather said, do not judge a book by its cover which is why he was sacked from his job as chairman of the annual National Book Cover Awards. <laughs> so I credit that joke to Stuart Lee. But it would be a shock. We would not expect a nation's leader to come from such humble circumstances. But in our reading that Emma read, that's what kind of is going on. As God chooses the next king of Israel, uh, that's what's going on. God's prophet was very sad because of Saul's disobedience and the state of the country now. Um, the kingship had all gone wrong. But God says, Samuel, put away your sadness, get some oil, and follow my instructions. You're going to anoint a new king. Hurrah. That's good, isn't it? In Israel, kings were anointed with oil. That shows they're set apart, specially for God's purposes. So verse 2, if you've got your Bible reading open. Samuel is told to take his oil and go to a man called Jesse, who lived in an out-of-the-way town called, um, hang on, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, that's right. You heard of it? No. Anyway, um, because, says God, I've chosen one of Jesse's sons to be the next king. But there's a problem. Samuel was frightened to do that. He'd fallen out with Saul. He'd told Saul God's message that he was no longer to be king. And what if he finds out that he's going to a town to anoint someone else as king? It was a dangerous mission. He was frightened. But the Lord says, don't worry, take a heifer. Ooh. So I've got a picture of a heifer. It's a young cow. And say, as you arrive, can we have our heifer? Look at that. I drew it myself. I didn't. Um, say that you're simply there to give a sacrifice. That was fairly normal for a prophet in those days. And also invite Jesse and his sons to the sacrifice. So off Samuel went, but when he arrived in town, the leaders of Bethlehem, the little town of Bethlehem, were frightened as well. Look at them. Ugh, what's going on? What's God's prophet doing here? What have we done wrong? Or perhaps they were worried about the spat between him and Saul, and they're worried that they're going to get in the middle of it. Do you come in peace, Samuel? Do you come in peace? Yes. I'm here to, for a sacrifice. So Samuel prepares it, the sacrifice. He asks the leaders and the people to join him. And rather interestingly, he says, please make sure Jesse is here with his sons. And they arrive. And as Jesse and his sons arrive, it's clear to Samuel who the Lord had chosen to be the next king. Because the only one he had ever anointed was Saul, and he was tall and handsome. And here is Jesse's eldest son, Eliab. 
Look at that. A fine specimen of a man wearing this season's lemon as his cloak. He's tall, good-looking, built a bit like an England rugby player, and he thought, well, Samuel thought, this one surely. And we often do that, don't we? As we were learning at the beginning, our eyes like the people who look impressive. Our eyes like the things that look impressive. Now, for example, I have three gifts here on the stage, and who would like, I need three volunteers to open the three gifts. Um, who would like to be Nathaniel? Lydia? William? No. Aidan, sorry. Where's William? He's disappeared. Oh, he's hiding. <laughs> right. Lydia? Aidan? What's wrong with me? Nathaniel. Right. Who wants to open this one? Who wants to open this one? Who wants to open... Who prefer, you all want to open this one, don't you? Well, who, who put a hand up first? Me. All right, Nathaniel. <laughs> Shall I get it down for you? All right, open it up and show me what's inside. A potato. A potato. Fantastic. Well, that's yours because you chose the big, nice, splendid present. So hold that for me. Please. Just for, just for a short time. Oh. Right, and who said they wanted to open this one first? Was it you? Oh, so, sorry, Aidan, you're going to have to have plastic bag. So what's in there? Let's show everyone. A banana. A banana. Right, so show everyone. Right, so is it what you imagined? Not really. It's a nice package, isn't it? Hmm. And do you want the, paper ba the plastic bag? What's in there? Have a look inside. What's it say on it? it says, I promise one chocolate bar to the holder of this ticket. I promise one chocolate bar. Wow. Well, I better do that then. Hold on. Stand still. Right. Well done. Right. Now, was that unexpected? No. So you had a lovely box and you only got potato. You had a lovely packet, but you only got a bruised banana. It wasn't bruised when I put it in there, actually. But you get a chocolate bar out of the smelly bag. Isn't that great? We shouldn't judge a book by its cover. Now, Aidan, you're going to share it with your two friends after the service, aren't you? Yes. There you go. See, we're all winners here. We're all winners here. So take it with you. Thank you very much. Give them a clap. Right, we do that, don't we? We do that. Our eyes like the things that look impressive. But that's not God's way. For God, it's always about the heart. The heart. And that's what Samuel, God's prophet, has to learn. And perhaps we need to learn that as well. So I look at verse 7. I've put some of it on the, on the um, overhead. But God, the Lord, said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height... For I've rejected him. I've rejected Eliab. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward, shiny appearance. But the Lord looks at the... Well done. Brilliant. The heart. So he doesn't look, about, look for looks or success. With God, it's not about being clever or being helpful at church. 
He's interested about our hearts, where we stand with him. Whatever I think I do for God, if my heart's not right with him, then he'll know, and it'll need fixing. So Samuel, don't be dazzled by outward appearance. Look, I look to the heart. But there's more here. There's more. And we begin to see the surprising ways of our Lord God. Each of the seven sons of Jesse are paraded in front of Samuel. Abinadab. Is it him? Is it Abinadab? He's big. He's strong. What do you reckon? No, says the Lord. God has rejected him. What about Sharma? What about Sharma? What does he look like? Well, he's very good looking, isn't he? He's got silky hair. Is he the one? Surely. No, verse 9. God's rejected him. And all seven pass by the prophet. And this is puzzling. The Lord's rejected all of them. So Samuel asks um, Jesse, are these all your sons? Uh, Oh, Jesse had forgotten. Yes, there was our youngest son. (laughs) He's out watching the sheep uh, in the fields. You wouldn't be interested in him. Can you spot him in the fields? I'll give you a clue. There you go. Right. Um, There he is in the fields, just minding the sheep. Well, Samuel says, fetch him. Get him here and we'll wait. We won't eat. We won't sit down until he comes. And I guess that was quite controversial because people would have been getting hungry and maybe the food was getting spoilt. But finally, the youngest arrives. And perhaps he's a teenager. He's spit smelly. Um, He's been with the sheep like I did that day, that night. And a bit smelly for visiting famous people like Samuel. But he was ruddy. He was healthy looking with fine appearance. And the Lord said to Samuel, arise, anoint him. He's the one. We don't know his name yet, but he's the one. He will be the next king of Israel. What a surprise. The small young shepherd boy. The one from the small little town of Bethlehem. And he's pushed forward and Samuel puts oil on his head. And in front of everyone, he anoints him as king. And that's a surprise, isn't it? It's a surprise for the people of Bethlehem, and it might be a surprise to you. Because that's the way God works. Everything is upside down. And Samuel's mother knew that. When Samuel's mother found out of the impossibility of her being pregnant with the baby Samuel, she cried out and praised God. He He brings down the mighty warriors. He also raises the poor. He lifts the needy. And he seats them with princes. So these are the surprising ways of our Lord God. And if you look at verse 7 again, it can be translated like this. The Lord said to Samuel, The Lord sees not as man sees, for man sees according to the eyes, but the Lord sees according to the heart. When God sees, he sees according to his heart. Um, A lot of people think that's talking about God's heart here. He sees according to what he has planned to do, what he wants, according to his heart. And so he sees Eliab, tall and handsome, and Samuel sees with his eyes and thinks, yes, and God says, no, the youngest, smallest son I intend to make king. 
I've seen for myself a king. I see it with my heart. I see it with my heart. And back in chapter 13, it was the same thing. When King Saul was first disobedient, the Lord sought after a man after his own heart. No, back one, please. Thank you. Sorry, that was my mistake. Which doesn't necessarily mean a really good man, a man with a holy man like God's heart, but a man of God's choosing, a man that God has set his heart on. In fact, years later, in 2 Samuel 7, David sees this, and he says to the Lord, according to your own heart, you've brought about this great greatness, all this greatness in me, and you've made me know it. So it's a bit like when someone becomes a Christian, it's not because God sees something good in our hearts. He, thinks, he doesn't think, oh, they'll make good Christians, I'll call them to myself. No, he looks at his own heart, and he loves us. And he brings us to himself, even if we're living lives in opposition to him. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that a relief? He doesn't choose us based on our performance or our goodness. He chooses us because he chooses us. He loves us because he loves us. And even when we've made a right stink of our lives, even when we are very poor spiritually, he says, come to me. I love you. So, that's good relief. So, we're going to sing a song about that. What time is it? It's 11 o'clock. Very good time for a song. Are you ready for this? I'm going to call Annabelle up to give me a hand. If you show me the words, uh, Samuel, we've got, isn't it ironic? We have Samuel working the slides. Um, so, the next slide says, whether you're one or whether you're two. Any one-year-olds? Any two-year-olds here? Uh, three, four, or five, seven, or eight. Any eight-year-olds? Nine. Phew. Wow, I thought you were younger than that. Okay, fine. It really doesn't matter how old you are because the Lord loves you. So we're going to stand and sing this together. Do you mind? I'm going to, give me a note. Let's stand. Ready? Whether you're one or whether you're two or three or four or five six or seven or eight or nine it's good to be alive. It really doesn't matter how old you are. Jesus loves you, whoever you are. La 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 la. Jesus loves us all. And again, ready? La 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 la. It's the easiest words. Loves us all. Next verse. Whether you're big or whether you're small. Or somewhere in between First in the class or middle or last It's all the same to him It really doesn't matter how clever you are Jesus loves you whoever you are Ready? La 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 Jesus loves us all And again La 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 Jesus loves us all. Well done. That's good. Have a seat. Did you find the chorus a bit complicated? It's great to be joyful for the Lord, isn't it? Because he has chosen us, he loves us, and nothing to do with what we've done. And here in our story, God's chosen his king. Saul had been the people's choice. We read about that in 1 Samuel 8, for example. 
Um, they wanted a king just like the other nations. So God said, okay, have one like the other nations. But now this is God's choice for a king. And it's going to be great. And it wasn't about how impressive the king was and who the Lord wants to be. It was about who the Lord wanted to be king, which is a relief. And actually, does anyone know his name? He hasn't been mentioned yet. He's not mentioned in the passage yet. Does anyone know his name? David. Brilliant. So we know how, what went on with David later. and We're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. Our friends at St. Mary's Maidenhead, um, their vicar's left. Um, he's gone to a new job, and they're looking for a new vicar. So should they choose the most popular person? Should they choose the handsome one or the very clever one with very good at talking? No, Nathaniel, no. Should they choose someone that God has chosen? Maybe the, someone who prays a lot? Yeah. Maybe the one who's suffered who's weak in that way. Yeah, God knows what he's doing, and we need to leave it to him. And we want him to call the shots. I'm not very good at calling the shots. I want him to lead the way, don't I? I want him because he knows what is right. He looks at the heart, and his heart, he looks with his heart, and his heart is full of love. And all this reminds us that when it comes to our friends, I've got a few pictures of them for you on the, on the screen. When it comes to our friends, our work colleagues, or people around us, that we should not see them in the way that the world sees them. We should not do that like Samuel saw Eliab. But we should see these people, our friends and people around us, as God sees them. Which means not judging by their outward appearance. Uh, choosing the people that we like. The sort of people that we get on with. No, wanting to know their hearts, their hurts. We want to get to know them, all of them, and love them. Anyway, let's go back to verse 13. When David is anointed by the Spirit, sorry, when David is anointed, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David with power and equips him to serve as a king. Isn't that great? David can't do it on his own, so God's going to equip him. He's going to use David to bring about his plans. And that's the same for us. When God calls us to himself, we can't serve him without his Spirit. He gives us his Spirit uh, to live for him. But we mustn't forget that the main message of 1 Samuel is about God's plan to, show, to, to send a saving king for the whole world. When we look at the Old Testament, the thing on our laps, we're given hints and glimpses of what the true king looks like, what he's going to be like. So when we see the surprising choice of David, we are to match him up with the unexpected choice of King Jesus. Jesus came from a nowhere town called Nazareth, born in a stable, actually, a place of poverty. He was a simple carpenter. He worked with wood. But at his baptism, at his baptism, next slide, God anointed him as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As Jesus came out of the water, the voice came from the heavens, you are my son whom I love, I'm well pleased. You're the king after my heart. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove and equips him and sends him out. And actually, Jesus is sent out to the wilderness to be tempted. And David, things get quite complicated after he's sent, after he receives the Spirit. It's the same for us. 
It's not an easy journey, the Christian life. But the shepherd boy went on to be Israel's finest king, defeating enemies, establishing the throne in Israel, encouraging people to worship the Lord God. But like everyone else, he grew old. And then when he died, his son became king. But when Jesus came, he didn't live in a palace. He didn't sit on a throne. He didn't get the biggest sword and go and defeat the enemy. No, he went to the cross. He was treated as the worst of sinners, dying a slave's death. The Lord punished his own son on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins, our greatest enemy, sin and death. That was the Father's heart of love for you and for me. He acts according to what he wants and what he has planned to do to bring our rescue. Good news? Well, as I finish, um, I just wanted to, I got quite excited. I wasn't going to preach verse 14 onwards, but I just got quite excited by it. So I just want to just tell you one thing. In verse 14, the spirit of the Lord departs from King Saul. Saul begins to be tormented by a harmful spirit and throwing him into rage. His servants go and find someone to play music for him, to soothe him, to restore him. They hear about David. He's good at the harp and as well as being a brave soldier. So they send for him and David arrives in Saul's court to play the harp. Verse 21 says this. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Is this on a slide? Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre, his harp, and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the harmful spirit would leave. Well, remember the Holy Spirit had come upon David. And in the past, when the Holy Spirit um, had come upon particular leaders in the Old Testament, they soon went out and defeated their enemies, and King Saul did that. And soon we'll be reading about David's victories over Israel's enemies. But for now, the Holy Spirit enables to do him something that sets him apart, that shows he really is the king after God's own heart. He demonstrates that he is a king who serves, who serves. I've been so taken by this. King Saul is going through the mill. He's struggling with mental health. And David comes along as God's anointed king and brings healing. It's a wonderful act of God's undeserved loving kindness, his grace to Saul. Saul's messed things up. He's disobeyed God. We might think he doesn't deserve this from God. But God sends the anointed king, the Christ, to soothe and comfort Saul. God's so kind, even in our sin. He's so gracious. We know to remember that, that he is on our side, even in our sin. So at the beginning of his ministry, the spirit-filled shepherd king of God prefigures the first coming of Christ, Jesus the good shepherd, because when Jesus came the first time, he did not bring destruction and defeat and judgment on his enemies. He came to bring refreshment, restoration, forgiveness. Because that's what the spirit king does, spirit-filled king does. The king who came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many.
And more than that, the text says, Saul loved David greatly. And Saul invites David to remain in his service, to be his armor bearer, his true companion. So Saul encounters the spirit-filled king and gives his allegiance to him at this moment. And it's a wonderful picture of what you and I should do with Jesus Christ, to God's Christ. He's empowered to come to us, to heal us, to bring us relief. And in this instance, we must follow Saul's example to come to the healer, to his rescuer. For Jesus is our only hope. And we're going to sing our prayer. So did you want to introduce it? A prayer of response.